We're coming towards the end of this series in Daniel, and trust me, there is a whole lot more in Daniel that we could be going into. Uh, But we have been looking at these uh, six first chapters of Daniel and Daniel's journey and and Daniel's journal, I should say, and just to understand exactly uh, what God is saying to us and how we can live in the midst of a culture or in the midst of a society that does not represent him, does not honor him. And, and we could all be uh, realistic in saying that if we really think about it, do we live in a Christian culture? If we really think about it, do we live in a place that honors God? If we really even consider some of our homes are our homes places where God is lifted high. And I think in a lot of times, if we were very honest about it, we live lives that reverence the Lord above everything else. That's the struggle. And so I pray that you would wrestle with that on today as we go through this particular text. Uh, We're going to be in Daniel chapter 5 on today, and as we go through Daniel chapter 5, you'll start to see some things, and what'll be really easy is for us to see the things in the others that we're reading about, but I want you to make sure that you're drawing the conclusion of what we see in the others may also be present in our lives. I see it very consistently, and I'll just draw upon something from culture. Uh, Some of you guys know the name Kanye West, and one of the things that happened about a year and a half ago was uh, Kanye West was pretty much riding high, had one of the hottest selling brands out there across the world, had music all across the world, was just kind of doing everything, just seemed to be successful. Though he had some ups and downs, the reality was it almost seemed, he almost seemed untouchable, and that nothing could, could bring him down. And what we saw was he made a statement that essentially brought him down. And that statement was that he could say any anti-Semitic thing that he wanted to say, and his brand sponsor, Adidas, couldn't do anything about it. Well, Adidas, a German company with their own history of anti-Semitism and They said, no, we are not participating in that. And so they chose to take a $500 million loss and cut their ties with him. We can just as quickly lose things because of our pride, because we think that all the success that we have and all the things that we are uh, bringing home are because of our own hands, are because of our own wisdom, are because of our own strength. Now, it's not just individuals, but it can be within the ethos of the, of the age where there is so much industrious might that we feel like there can be no wrong. We are at the height of education and understanding. We are at the height of innovation. And it almost feels like we're there now, but I'm actually preparing you to think about what it means to be in the late 1800s, beginning of the 1900s. This pinnacle of the Industrial Revolution, and it's producing what seems to be this gigantic ship called the Titanic. And the Titanic comes from a heart of, we know how to build it, we know how to do it faster, we know how to do it better, and we are going to build a transatlantic ship that'll get there faster than anybody else in the most opulence that we could could get them therein. It was written about this ship that... Even God himself couldn't sink this ship. So the Titanic goes across the sea, and it hits an iceberg. 
just a couple of days before it gets to its destination. And as it hits the iceberg, it begins to fill with water. You guys know the story. Within three hours, that ship is broken apart and it's headed to the bottom of the sea. See, these are the things in all its horrificness that come about when pride is elevated, when the personal human pride is elevated above the creator of all things. There is one who sits upon the throne who was actually able to say, I am good. I thank God even for scriptures when, when, when there, they, a person came up to Jesus and he said, good, good master, good teacher, and Jesus' response to him is, why do you call me good? There is only one who is good. Oh man, that's an interesting statement because oftentimes that's our response. I'm good. I'm good. But even that is a prideful statement. I am dependent upon the Lord. That's who I am. Scripture tells us that in our weakness, he is shown strong. So are we to be strong or are we to be dependent upon him? So I want us to take a look into to chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, verse number 1, it reads, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine and in front of a thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then he brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall at the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this, this writing, and shows me its interpretation, shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in. But they could not read the writing or make known the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods is in whom is the spirit of the holy gods in the days of your father light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him and king nebuchadnezzar your father your father the king made him chief of the magicians enchanters chaldeans and astrologers because an excellent spirit knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams explain riddles and solve problems were found in this daniel whom the king named belteshazzar now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. What happens when you reject God's reign? What happens when you glorify yourself 
over the God of heaven. What happens when you find yourself seeking your own desires, joy, and passion, your own self-indulgence? You find yourself at odds with the king of heaven. But God is sovereign over everybody, even ungodly kings and ungodly kingdoms. But when we reject God's reign, we blaspheme the most high God. I want you to consider what we see in the first five chapters, or first five verses. In the first five verses, we consistently see that Belshazzar was drinking with a thousand of his closest pals. And then it says again that they were bringing in wine. And while he was drinking, he decided that, you know what, it's not just enough to be drinking all this excess. Let's drink out of the things that were made for the most holy God. And so he goes and he gets, or they go and they get all of these utensils that were used within the temple in Jerusalem that were brought to Babylon. And he says, let's use these. And so he starts passing them around to his lords and to his concubines and to his wives and to all the people who are there because it's going to be big fun. We blaspheme the Most High God when we let our pride fill fill us up. Now, history tells us this story about this night, about this night. You can even go outside of Scripture to figure out what happened on this night. What we know is that this was the night that Babylon was handed over to the Medes and the Persians. This was a night where a seemingly impenetrable fortress was brought low, and its king was killed. Not only was its king killed, But it kind of walks us right into uh, this verse that just says, and then a new king came named Darius. It lets you know a little bit something about Belshazzar. and lets you know a little bit something about his father. It lets you know a little bit something about where the people were and whether they actually cared that he was gone. There was a pride about this king that he thought that everything that was put together would protect him, the walls of Babylon were 85 feet thick, 335 feet high. He thought that this was going to protect him, but what ended up happening was the, the Persians and the Medes, they dammed up the Euphrates River so that it would be low and that they would be able to get in through the gates where the water, or, or the, the, the tunnels where the water was coming in under the city. And they came in, they snuck in undetected. And what we read here is what happens that night. This party, it's happening at a particular time. Now, what's interesting is that Belshazzar is not actually um, aware. It would seem that he would know that there is uh, an issue because his father is actually away. His father is away at war, fighting. And when your father, the king, and the armies are away at war, do you think something like this should be happening? No, but this shows the level of pride that was within this man that while they were out fighting, while they're out at war, we're just going to sit back and just celebrate. We're just going to sit back and just have a good time. He's so unaware of what's going on around him, what's going on within the world that he thinks it's okay to just sit and celebrate. It's okay to just sit and get drunk. And not only is it okay to celebrate and get drunk, but let's just completely defile the things of God. Now, these utensils that he brought in, when I talk about these utensils or when I talk about defiling the things of God, I want you to understand that you and I were fearfully and wonderfully made by this God. 
that you and I bear the image and the likeness of this God. And so when we talk about the consecration of these utensils, I'm actually talking about the consecration of God's people. And what do we do with God's people? What do we do with those who are holy? What do we do with those who are called after his name and who have his likeness? Are we casual with them? Are we prideful that we exalt ourselves as humanity above God? So one of the things I do want to say in regards to this moment is that as he's walking into sin, as he's just drinking and just completely kind of, I don't want to say out of his mind because he kind of is still in his right mind. But the sin that he is so used to committing, he's used to getting drunk like this. He's used to having parties like this. But he decides that this is not just just enough sin. This is not enough debauchery. Let's just take it up a notch. Let's just go and get some extra stuff. Let's do something different than we've ever done before. We've never gone after the holy things. You know, we've kind of kept it light. I drink on my own terms. He takes it even further. See, sin will make you progress just a little bit further. I'm used to clicking on this site. I'm used to going this way. Well, I'm used to that. It's not that bad. But you know what? I was thinking, what about this extra thing? What if I took it just another step further? Then the next thing you realize, you are fully away from the Lord, fully in sin, engrossed in sin, and God has nothing left to do but to step into your world. Now, this is where we get the phrase, the writing on the wall. This is where it comes from, this particular story. Because the writing on the wall is that everybody else sees it, but you don't understand what's going on. Everybody else in this place is seeing this thing that's happening, and they can't understand what's there. They can't understand what's happening. And so they go and they get these uh, enchanters and magicians. And the enchanters and the magicians, they have no words for them. But the queen, who uh, time would tell us would be um, Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. So his mother comes to him and says, there is a man. There is a man that my father knew, Nebuchadnezzar knew, that was able to speak to these things, speak to dreams that were uninterpretable. So let's go get him because your guys can't take care of it. Let's go get get Daniel. And so what we see next is that not only uh, as we progress into sin that we begin to blaspheme God when we're not honoring him, but we also get stuck. And Daniel is going to help Uh, Belshazzar understand that he gets stuck in a sin pattern that is not just his own, but it's a legacy of sin. It's a cycle of sin. He gets stuck in the, the sins of his father. So let's go back and look at that. Verse number 13, it says, I saw, sorry, verse number 13, then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, you are the Daniel one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. 
Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hands is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. The thing that strikes me is verse 22. When he tells him about the sins of his father, when he tells him the story of Nebuchadnezzar and how Nebuchadnezzar had to go through a breaking, but eventually Nebuchadnezzar came to a place of realization that the God of heaven is to be praised. But he says a particular line. He says, though you knew all of this. See, here's the thing is that we may sin and we may find ourselves in new places that we've never experienced before. And God is dealing with that. But there's even something more here because God was dealing with him previously. In previous generations, you saw your father Nebuchadnezzar fall because of his pride. And he didn't only get a chance to see Nebuchadnezzar fall because of his pride, but consider the fact that there were at least two other kings before his father who were assassinated in the process because they were clamoring for the throne. See, pride is one of those things that we see generationally. What, what Daniel is saying to Belshazzar is, you look just like your daddy. See, but some of us, we take that and we say, thank you, thank you. Some of us, that's not a compliment at all. And Daniel is not paying Belshazzar a compliment. He's telling him that you are falling into the same things that led your grandfather to crawl upon all fours and eat grass among the fields because he would not acknowledge the God of heaven. Now, one of the other things that we find ourselves doing is the same thing. Remember last week I talked about there were 12 months between the proclamation that was given to Nebuchadnezzar that he would be judged 
And Nebuchadnezzar went that full 12 months and never honored the Lord. And so the Lord had to judge. But what we're about to see here is the judgment of Belshazzar. And that judgment does not come 12 months later. That judgment comes in an instant. That judgment comes in an instant, and it could be because he's had the whole lifetime of his grandfather and his father to be able to make things right. See, when there is generational sin, we've already seen the outcomes of it. And consider the culture that we find ourselves in. This is not the first time that we've had a culture that has lifted up humanism above the divine. We have seen cultures, we have seen nations that have set themselves up against God, and where are they now? There were the Greeks who ruled the world, and they dealt with a lot of the same liberty questions that we are dealing with now. Shouldn't I just be able to love who I want to love? Shouldn't I be able to do what I want to do? Shouldn't I be able to, I'm smart enough, I should be able to figure this thing out. Well, they went a particular way, and then the Romans followed them in that, and then the Romans went a particular way. Well, here we are again as a people, and what will happen? What is next? We already know. We already know. The one that has stood against Egypt, the one that has stood against Babylon, the one that has stood against Persia, Persia, the one that has stood against the Greeks, the one that has stood against Rome. Consider even the statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw, the generations of empires throughout the world that would topple and be displaced. But this stone that was untouched by human hands that would cause the toppling, but it would remain and grow into a mountain that no eye could see the end of. See, the only thing that remains is Christ. The only thing that remains is the Lord and his word. But here we are, Belshazzar. Belshazzar is not paying attention to history. Will you? Will I? We get another display of what pride does to us. That pride will lead us to make decisions to defile our own bodies, to defile the church, to defile the things that God calls holy. Our pride will lead us to the place where we are not recognizing consistent generational sin, and even we'll find ourselves going right back to the same sin, as Scripture says, like a dog returning to its vomit. We will find ourselves stuck in those same cycles if we have pride but humble, we need to humble ourselves. We need to humble ourselves so that we would go to the Lord. Scripture tells us that God is faithful to forgive us. He's faithful to forgive us, but here's the thing is that God will judge. I can never get away from that because a lot of people have this thing in their ear that a loving God will never judge us because he loves us too much to do so. No, a loving God will judge you. A loving God will tell you when you're wrong. A loving God will tell you that you need to be corrected. A loving God will make a way for you to be able to walk righteous and holy with him, but he has to set a standard. He has to set a backstop, something when you hit that, you know that you've come up against God. 
So consider that you're in the midst of a large banquet with a thousand people and everybody's drinking and having fun and all of a sudden on the back wall there's a finger, a hand that comes out of nowhere and it just begins to write upon the wall. No body, no head, no legs, no torso, just a hand that writes upon the wall. And what it writes upon the wall begins to perplex everyone. Not that they can't read it, what it said is that it's most likely written in Aramaic is a question of whether it was Aramaic or cuneiform so that all the people could be able to read it. Because all the people saw it, all the people were were confused by it. But what ends up happening is this writing goes upon the wall and they're questioning, well, what does it mean? What does it mean? And no one can interpret it, but Daniel comes in and he begins to interpret it. So Daniel says, then from his presence, this is verse 24, from God's presence, the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed and this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Peres, the kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and the proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now he was the third ruler again in the kingdom because Belshazzar's father, was already the king. Belshazzar was the presiding king because he was within the country. And then Daniel was made the third highest ruler in the, in the kingdom. But I want to go back and take a look at this. Mene means um, that you have, the uh, Mene means that God has numbered. It's just a number. It's a, he, what he's saying is that he's been counted. You've been looked at. And he says, mene, mene means that you've been looked at and you've been looked at over again. But he's saying that these days that you have, they're numbered. So count them, but count them quick because you don't have a lot of time. And then he says, Tekel, you have been weighed. I've been looking at you and I've been seeing your ways and I see your pride and it does not align with, with my scripture. It does not align with the directives that I've given. And then he says, Peres, which means divided. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. It's been numbered. Your days are short. Not only are your days short, but they're ultra short. And the reason why your days are ultra short is because there is no value in the things that you're doing. And because there is no value in the things that you're doing and there's pride within your own heart, what? I'm gonna take everything that you have. I'm gonna take everything that you have and strip it from you. Now, this could have been Nebuchadnezzar's fate. This could have been Nebuchadnezzar's situation. Nebuchadnezzar could have been stripped of everything. Nebuchadnezzar ended up humbling himself and being restored, not just to where he was, but even greater than where he was. But this man, Belshazzar, who had all the time to be able to look and see, the God of heaven does not play with pride. He does not share his glory with anyone. 
but yet he wanted it for himself. He wanted to partake of God's glory and the things that God had set apart for himself. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for you and I? What are the things that we are pursuing our glory in? I just want to be known. I just want to be seen. I just want to have somebody look at me and tell you I'm a value. Look at me and tell me I'm a value. That's what I'm pursuing. That's what I want. I just want to be known. I just want to get my name on a building. I just want to get my name on a book. I just want to get my name out there so that people will say, Fikre meant something. Can I be content with just glorifying God in all of my life? Can I be content in all the things that I do, just setting them under the name of Christ? Do they have to be in my name? Do they have to be for my glory? Do they have to be for my good? Or can I do these things just for the glory of the Lord? Belshazzar's pride put him at odds with God. And it concludes this section. It says that very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean was killed. He didn't have 12 months to get it right. He had moments. Now, the reality is this, is that he had dangled this thing in front of all the magicians and the Chaldeans and even in front of Daniel and said, oh, I'm going to exalt you to be the third ruler in all of the country. And Daniel interprets this, and Daniel already knows this is meaningless. Who cares about your purple? Who cares about your gold chain? This thing is about to come crashing down. You give me a gold chain and you give me purple, God just gave you an opportunity to repent. Which one will you choose? Will you choose the accolades of man? Will you choose the things that we set in this world as things to be uh, aspired to? Oh, we work so hard to get to the C-suite just to do what? We work so hard to get to this income level just to do what? We work so hard at all these things that are being told to us, that's what you should have. I was reading a story about, uh, a fictional story about a man who was fishing. And as he was fishing, uh, he caught 10 fish, and a businessman who was on vacation comes over to him and he says, man, you're a really good fisherman. And as he... Uh, is, is talking to him. He says, you know what you could do? If you stayed out here just a little bit longer and maybe caught another 10 fish, you could take those 10 fish, and if you did that every, every day, you could sell those extra fish and potentially buy you a boat. And then you could set off a little bit deeper into the water and that you could fish and catch more fish. You could use your nets. You could drag them in. I mean, and you could sell that fish all over the place, and you could use that money to buy more boats. And then you take those boats, and you go out, and you uh, make more, uh, get more fish. And then you can set up a business. You can start bringing in uh, hiring people and they could run the business for you and they could uh, fish for you. And then, you know, you would scale up your business to where you could start exporting all the fish that you're getting. And, and then eventually you just sell your company. And, you know, if you sold your company and you made millions of dollars, what would you do? I, I would fish and spend time with my family and spend time with my kids. And I think what we do so often is we get caught up in the more, that we forget these basic things that really bring us joy. 
just being with the Lord, just being present with our children, just being present with our family, that that's what we're trying to do. But the world keeps telling us, take this purple, take this gold chain, not knowing that it's all fleeting. God is doing something in us but he wants us to let go of this pride that we hold on to. That my work, my wisdom, my decisions, instead of saying, Lord, your work, your will, your decisions, let those things guide me, let those things comfort me, let those things care for me. And Lord, if I pursue after you, your kingdom will remain. There will be no night where your life is required of you. God, because you are from everlasting to everlasting. So my hope is that you would pursue the Lord in all things. If you find yourself at odds with God, including being blasphemous, Mark says this, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But the next verse says it like this, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit has forgiveness, uh, never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Now, what he's talking about here is that when you have rejected the God of heaven, though you have met him, though you have seen him, when you have said you are of no value, God, though I have seen you, how do you come back from that? But we who have seen the goodness of God do what? We bow before him. We who have been broken by the Lord do what? We exalt the Most High God, El Elyon. We call upon his name. And so I encourage you on today to please, if you don't know the Lord, that you would call upon his name. Because just like Belshazzar, I am not guaranteed that I will be standing in this pulpit next week. Tonight, my life may be required of me. You are not guaranteed next week. You are not guaranteed to be able to see your great-grandchildren. But this night, this day, choose the Lord. And if you choose the Lord, should your life be required of you, you will be with him. You will be, your story will end like Nebuchadnezzar's story ends, and he honored the Most High God. Versus Belshazzar's end. And Darius the Mede received his kingdom. Only what you do for Christ will last.